Man, that one may have been just for me, but God is so good. Would you guys join me in praying uh, as we come to his word? Lord Jesus, the whole point of all of this is we have come to hear from you. As we lift our voices in worship, we've come to hear from you. As we sit in silence and come to communion, we've come to hear from you. And Lord, now as we open your word, would you come and speak? As John the Baptist prayed, I pray, may I decrease that you would increase, Lord Jesus. May your people hear your voice this morning and be different because of it. Move, invite us deeper in, we pray, God, and give us the courage to take the steps needed. Welcome, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we are going to continue. This is actually going to be wrapping up a series that we've been working through. Uh, just as we've been looking through kind of the mission and vision of our church, why we exist as a church. And I have finally, Chris has been trained. He's not going to put the mission statement up there until after you guys tell me what it is. Uh, we as a church, as a group of believers, exist to see every person involved in what? I'm so proud of you guys right now. Kingdom life. The first couple weeks you were sketchy. I'm going to be honest. I was starting to wonder, but the last couple weeks you've picked it up. We exist to see every person involved in kingdom life. Every person invited into kingdom life and every person encouraged and spurred on deeper into kingdom life. It's why we exist as a church it's why we get up on a Sunday morning and come together. It's why God has us in the places that he has us throughout the week to invite every person deeper in to kingdom life. There is a king. It is not you and it is not me. He is in charge. He has a kingdom. And life is better when we follow the king. When we do things the king's way, life is better. Kingdom life. And if we're really going to, to see every person involved in kingdom life, we said there's four things that we have to value, four things we have to prioritize above everything else. And remember, always keep this in mind. When I talk about our church valuing these things, am I talking about an organization? Am I saying I have to value these things and talk about it a lot and you guys just live your lives? We each as individuals have to prioritize, have to value these if we as a church are going to move the kingdom forward. Chris, go ahead and put those up there for me. So the first three that we worked through is divine expectation and engagement. Living every day, every moment, as if God would show up, because guess what? He's there, and we are to engage with him. To have this different perspective that treats every situation, every day, as Lord, what are you going to do today, and how can I partner with you? Practical discipleship. We have been called before everything else to make disciples. Not to have a big church, not to have a great church, not to stop cussing and whatever else, but first and foremost, make disciples. People who are being transformed into the character and priorities of Jesus. This is our calling as a church. Truly, that is kingdom life. Becoming disciples of Jesus. We're going to talk a little more about that even today. Last week we talked about a family on mission. Growing in a sense of unity, oneness that takes the world by storm. Jesus praying for his church that, that wasn't even established yet but would come 
said, Lord, I pray that they would be one with each other, just like you and I, Father, are one. And he says that when that happens, the world will know that I've sent them. That we would come together, united as a family, locking arms and moving forward to advance the kingdom together. Family on mission. And finally, kind of spurring out of that, is we have to learn to live with an outward focus. You see, the church for, for far too long, I don't know exactly when this started, but especially the church in the West, has tried to kind of separate Christianity, separate our faith from our mission. We've, we've tried to make it so that you could follow Jesus without actually following Jesus. We, we've taken the spots in the scriptures where Jesus told his disciples, come and follow me. Come and do life with me. What I do, you do. What's important to me is important to you. We've taken those and we've kind of changed them to say, believe certain things. Check certain boxes and you're a Christian. And if you're a really good Christian, you'll also have this outward gaze trying to bring other people into the fold. We've tried really hard to separate those because it's real comfortable. All I have to do is pray a prayer and believe a couple facts and I'm in Everything above that is bonus. But we don't find that in Scripture. What we find is Jesus inviting people into mission with him. Come, follow me. What I do, you do. What's important to me is important to you. And lost people matter to God. He wants them found. We have to learn to live with an outward focus. So here's how we define uh, this, this value of outward focus. Chris, go ahead and put it up there for me. A commitment to bring life and healing to those around us with a heart that breaks for what breaks his. It, it can seem a little wordy, and I get that. We're trying to, to communicate kind of a big idea, and we're going to break it down this morning and look at kind of in individual parts. But a commitment to bring life and healing to those around us with a heart that breaks for what breaks his. So let's start to, to break this down a little bit. First, I just want to look at the word commitment. You guys have probably seen this, heard this, like realize it when you look around. We live in a culture that is terrified of commitment. Like in, in any arena that you want to look at, throw a party. Throw a party two weeks from now, and on the Thursday before, how many people are coming? You have no idea, right? No, people are terrified to commit. We live in a culture of FOMO. Fear of missing out. What if something better comes along? What if, what if somebody cooler asks me to come to their party? Well, I mean, sure, I like this girl, but should I marry her? What if somebody better is out there for me? We are so terrified to commit because we think we're going to miss out. And this bleeds over into the church. Jesus has this very high bar he invites us into, and we kind of just want to dip our toes because what if, what if it doesn't feel good tomorrow? What if there's something better that comes along? What if there's something I want to do that I can't do then? And so we are terrified to commit. Being on mission with Jesus is all about commitment. It's a, it's a response to his invitation. Like, if, if I'm having a party, I send out RSVPs. When you RSVP, you're committing. And you would even tell people, like, oh, I have a commitment on that day. Like, that's how we use the word. But we're so scared of it. But Jesus is, is putting an invitation out before us in his word to come and partner with him, to come and go seek and save the lost, to have this outward focus. 
And before we get into all of the rest of this, the first decision we need to make is, am I going to commit? The Lord is inviting me in. Am I RSVPing? Am I saying yes? Are we willing to commit? And we talked about this a couple weeks ago with divine expectation and engagement. Here's the ask. Jesus is saying, before I even tell you what it is you're committing to, I need a yes. Come follow me. He doesn't say, he doesn't, we're going to look at his invitation to his disciples here in a minute. He doesn't tell them, okay, boys, I want you to come follow me. And here's exactly what it's going to look like every day. Here's the hours involved. Here's exactly what it's going to cost. He just calls them out from life. Come follow me. They have to make a commitment before they even know all of the costs involved. And God is putting the same thing before us. Will we commit? Will we say yes to the Lord simply because we trust him? Or are we waiting to find out if we're going to be comfortable there or not? You can't play both sides. Let's look at Jesus inviting some of his first disciples in Matthew 4, 18, 20, 18 to 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting their nets into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him, going on from there. He saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing the nets. Jesus called to them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I'm going to be honest, guys. In our kind of Western worldview, we don't even really know what to do with this story. None of us can imagine being at work. This guy walks by. There's something about him. We don't even know what it is, but he's got something we want. And he says, come follow me. And we don't even clock out. We literally drop what we're doing, leave our lives, and go follow him. The kind of commitment that they showed, I honestly don't even have a category to put it in. But this is the kind of commitment that we are called to. Jesus is inviting us in, and not because we've done the math and it seems profitable in the end, simply because of who he is, whatever he's calling me to is worth it, I'm in. Are we willing to commit? And here's, here's another hard part. This isn't a one-time decision. I mean, it is and it isn't. It's not a decision you make once and it just kind of carries through all by itself. This commitment is a decision we have to make every day in every situation. We see Pete and the boys being, being challenged in this. Uh, there comes a point uh, a few chapters later, we're going to look at the story in John chapter 6, uh, where Jesus has this massive crowd that is following him and he, he decides to test their commitment. He looks at this crowd, and we looked at this passage a couple weeks ago as well, and he says, okay, you want to follow me? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Thousands of people who have been following him, but they just want to see the miracles. They want the show. And he knows this, and he says, so he puts it hard to them. He tests their commitment. If you want to follow me, eat my flesh and drink my blood. They have no concept of communion at that point. They're just like, they literally said, this is hard teaching. Who can do this? Thousands bailed. And Jesus looks at his 12, Pete and the boys, and he says, looking at John uh, 6, verse 68, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? 
Jesus asked the twelve, and Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus looks at him and goes, you guys still committed? You still in? You don't understand it. It seems like a cost that is crazy to pay. You still in? And Pete says, Lord, where are we going to go? You have everything we could ever want. Whatever the cost we're in. This wasn't something where the disciples just left the nets the one time and it was smooth sailing. Their commitment was constantly tested, as will yours be. And you will have to choose, am I in for good, no matter the cost? Am I in for following Jesus? Because if so, he's on mission, and I'm going to be on mission with him. Is this making sense, church? Yes. Okay. So commitment. The next part, to bring life and healing to those around us. We are committed to follow Jesus where he leads, and here is where Jesus leads. When you look at the life of Jesus throughout the Gospels, his mission was to bring the kingdom to people. We've talked about kingdom life, and what that looked like was life and healing. Everywhere Jesus went, he was bringing life and healing to those around him. Now here's the thing. Life and healing... I'm not talking about miracles, though it may include miracles. Life and healing is found first and foremost in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, because the thing that needs healed before anything else is broken relationship with the Father. The, the ultimate cause of spiritual death, which is the greatest plague, plaguing mankind, is separation from the Father. He is life, and we chose sin. But now through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus, we can be reconciled to the Father. And with Him, we find life and healing, spiritual, emotional, physical. It all comes through the gospel. And there was times when, again, when you look at scriptures, where it happened miraculously. And we believe that it still can today. And there was times when it was more of a process and some people didn't get healed and they died. And they experienced ultimate healing. Ultimate life. But this was the ministry of Jesus and this is the ministry that we as his followers are called to as well. To bring life and healing to those around us. Now when we talk about you know, the gospel, we talk about life and healing, there can kind of be two different camps that form on this. Some that say, man, the gospel is good news for this life. And some that go, no, 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 the gospel is good news for the next life. The gospel is all about getting into heaven one day. No, the gospel is all about doing justice now. And it can, they can kind of start to compete against each other. We have to answer the question, like, when is the gospel good news for? Is it good news for this life or for the next? Because you can, yes, is the answer. Spoiler alert, yes. You're worse than Chris. I love both of you. I'm kidding. 
Because here's the thing, we can find passages in Scripture that speak to applying the gospel to this life and speak to applying it to the next, and some people just pick one and kind of exclude the other. Like when you look at the, the eternal nature of the gospel, you have verses like John 14, 1-6. We're not going to put these up there. I'm just going to move through them real quick. You can look them up later. John 14, where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back that you could be with me and you will have life and life abundant. He's looking to the future and going, one day when my kingdom comes here on earth perfectly, you're going to experience life like you've never even seen life before. Healing like you've never even seen healing before. But that day is coming. Uh, we look at like Paul talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.19, and he's talking to rich people in the world. And he goes, don't get comfortable now because the next life is even more important. Spend what you have now to make that day even better. Be generous with it because the day is coming. The kingdom is coming. And we go, oh, okay, so the gospel is all about heaven one day. It's all about when the kingdom is real and tangible one day. But then we find other passages where it seems like the gospel is for this life. Like Matthew 25 where Jesus says, look, don't even worry about that day. If you're not helping people today, if you're not feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, giving the wanderer shelter, and he goes through this whole list, visiting the prisoner, the sick. He says the gospel is for this life, to bring comfort to those people, to bring life and healing now. We read a couple weeks ago, we looked at Isaiah 58, bringing from the, the Old Testament, where God says, like, look, don't even bother coming together to worship. Don't, don't even give me your gifts. I don't want them because you're not helping people today. You're mistreating people. And he uses, for me, it's one of the most powerful pictures, like word pictures in, in Scripture. He says, but if you will spend yourself today on behalf of the needy, you'll see me. If you will bring life and healing to those around you today, you will experience me in a way like you never have before. And so it's easy to go, oh, okay, so, it's, so this life is most important. And we've kind of set the two up against each other at times. And it's really understanding that it's both and. It's never either or. The gospel, this, this beautiful good news that brings life and healing at the deepest levels is both for today and for that day. Never one to exclude the other. Look at how Jesus praise in the Lord's Prayer. Most of us know this by heart. Uh, Matthew 6, Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he starts by going, look, God, your name is, is hallowed means lifted up, exalted. Your name is to be praised. Let your kingdom come on earth like it is in heaven. Your will be done here like it's done there. Jesus had this way of looking at both and going, one day you're going to see it perfectly like manifest. Where Jesus is legitimately sitting on a throne. No more sin, no more death. No, like, like we can't even imagine his kingdom come perfectly. But he doesn't say sit around twiddle your thumbs until that day comes. He says what we're to be praying, the way we're to be living is going, God, how do I make that happen here on earth? How do I bring your kingdom reality into this earthly reality. That your will would be done now. That people would be healed. That they would have life like they've never had before today, just like they will on that day. That this heavenly kingdom would become a reality 
today. It's both and. Looking to that day encourages me more this day. Seeing the brokenness of this day and the mission that I'm called to makes me look forward even more to that day. It's the, this beautiful partnership. And all around it is the gospel bringing life and healing to everyone around us. This is the mission that we're called to. Lord, wherever I go today, whatever relationships I have today, may people see your tangible kingdom being lived out through me. May they see your will being done through me today, just like it's being done in heaven, just like it will be done on that day. If we will begin to live with that perspective, we will begin to see people coming alive. People will first see life and healing in us like they've never seen anywhere in the world. And my prayer is, I, I pray this often, Paul, the Apostle Paul um, talking to the Gentiles in the church. The, back then when the church was being formed, there was those that were Jewish and everyone else was called a Gentile. So Jews and Gentiles. And Paul was talking to the Gentiles and he goes, don't get a fat head because God is like doing amazing things in you. But he said, here's my prayer. My prayer is that the Jews see what God is doing and it stirs up jealousy in their heart. That they have to have what God is doing in you. And there's nothing, there's no cost they won't pay to get it. And that is exactly how I pray for the people that I come into contact with every day. May, Lord, may they see life and healing in me that stirs up jealousy. A, a, a holy jealousy that says there is no cost I wouldn't pay to have what he has that they see something so different in me that they want it for themselves, and I will freely offer it to them. I will freely bring life and healing to everyone I come in contact with. If you got masks on, all I get is eyebrows. I need a head nod. I need something. I'll keep going. I got nowhere to be today. So a commitment to bring life and healing to those around us, and this next part is so incredibly pivotal with a heart that breaks for what breaks his. It was Jesus' compassion that drove his ministry. It was Jesus' compassion that drove his miracles. You cannot separate the compassion of the Father from seeking and saving the lost. His heart was broken for people. It's not that God was sitting up in heaven one day and he and Jesus were talking and he went, oh, look down there. The people, like, they're hopeless. There's nothing they can do. And they went, oh, God, here we go again. Let's go save them, I guess. They were sitting up there looking at the lostness of each and every one of us, of you and of me. And it was God's compassion that stirred him. We sang a song earlier that said, to step down from glory into earth. His compassion for us, his brokenheartedness over our helpless situation drove him to step out of glory, to pay the ultimate price for us. And it's his compassion that is to drive us. Let's look at a couple passages here where, where this is highlighted. The, the authors of the gospel, it seems like, went out of their way to highlight the compassion of Jesus. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. 
His compassion was driving him. This was a stiff-necked people. He knew most of the people in this crowd were one day going to be chanting, crucify him, crucify him. Yet he looked on them with compassion because he went, they're leaderless. They don't even know any better. And his heart was broken. And so he told his disciples, begin to pray that God would send out more people because they need the truth. Chapters later in Matthew 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And this is coming on the heels of Jesus was actually looking for a place to rest. They were going over to the other side of the lake because he was exhausted. And the crowd followed him. And when he landed... He had compassion on them. And when he would have had every right to go, come back tomorrow, I need a nap. I've done enough. Compassion drove him further. Matthew 15, 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. This comes right before the feeding of the 5,000. This incredible miracle that, again, we can't even really imagine. A couple fish, a couple loaves, thousands fed, and they actually had more left over than they even started with. And it all came from the compassion of Jesus. Luke 7, 12 to 14. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. Then he went up. He touched the bear and that they were carrying him on. And the bear stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. And this young man is raised to life because Jesus had compassion on this mourning, weeping widow. Compassion is what drove him. So where did he get his compassion? John chapter 5. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus' heart of compassion came from the Father. If you catch nothing else in this, in this message, catch this. Mission flows out of intimacy. The, this, this world-changing, history-changing mission that Jesus was on came out of intimacy with the Father. All I'm doing is what I see the Father doing. My heart is the Father's heart. Therefore, I am compelled to go forward. I am compelled to reach out. I am compelled to pay the price they can't pay for themselves. Because out of his intimacy with the Father... He had the heart of the Father, and he was compelled forward. So just a few verses before he says that, Jesus talking to his disciples, and he goes, look, everything you've seen me do, I've seen the Father do. I, I spend time with him, I become like him, and I go on mission with him. And a few verses before, he called his disciples to the exact same thing. John 15 You've heard this before. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that we'll even be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. 
No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Mission flows out of intimacy. The, the values that we put up there, I was thinking, do you guys know what a Penrose stair is? It's this crazy thing. You've, you've probably seen the pictures of it like in artwork where it's impossible staircases that just lead around to each other. And like you should either be going up or down, but you just kind of keep coming back around again. That's how I look at these values is one just leads right into the next. And where do you start and where does it stop? It, they just keep leading deeper into each other because now we go, okay, we need to be on mission. And what drives that? Divine expectation and engagement. Living with a sense that says, God, if you don't show up, I can't do anything. But when you do show up, my heart is transformed. I begin to look more like you. My heart begins to break for the things that break your heart. And I'm moved with compassion to bring life and healing. And the more that I'm moved in mission, the more I realize my need for him. And I draw back into intimacy. And I get greater calling and compassion to mission. And around and around they go. All the while I'm being transformed and so is my community. Because mission flows out of intimacy. When Jesus is talking here and he says, look, you're the, you're the branch, I'm the vine. He says, you bear fruit. Obviously, he's not talking grapes. He's not even talking fruits of the Spirit, which Paul would talk about about 60 years later. What he's talking about is mission. That lost people will be drawn into the kingdom. Jesus went around. He wasn't even preaching the gospel that, like, I'm going to die on the cross one day and raise from the dead for your sins. That hadn't happened yet. Jesus' gospel was the kingdom is at hand. You are being invited into the kingdom, into relationship with the king. And everything he did circled around that. And now he's calling his disciples and he goes, the more you hold on to me, the more you will become like me and the more fruit you will see. The more people will be invited into the kingdom because of it. And that same mission is here for the church today. It didn't stop Jesus wasn't one way with his disciples and went, okay, I'm going up to heaven. We're going to pivot now and, and do something totally different. Now it's about building this organization. Now it's about having like really big church gatherings. The same thing is true today that was true then. The kingdom is at hand. Invite people in to relationship with the king. And those that have relationship with the king, spur them deeper in. This is the mission we have as a church. We have to get better, if I can use that term, at maintaining an outward focus. And how do we do that? Intimacy with the King. Our heart is transformed to look more like Him. The things that break His break ours, and we move forward and the kingdom is advanced. In doing that, I realize that, man, I can't do this alone. You have gifts that I need if we're going to be on mission together. And all of a sudden, this family on mission, this unity becomes vitally important. Because the mission is so big, I can't do it without you. And I'm going to get discouraged and need your encouragement. And you have tools and experiences that I need. And all of a sudden, it's not just about going to church on Sunday. It's about this is my family and I can't do what is so vitally important to me without you. And you need me. And we link arms and we're on mission together. 
And it becomes this beautiful picture of the kingdom being advanced. Is this making sense? Okay. So now it, it's your turn to share. Uh, as we've done the last, I think, six weeks, I don't believe that I'm the only one that God has gifted to speak. I'm not the only one that God uh, maybe has given a word to that we could all learn from. And so I want to open it up. I want to learn from your experiences. I want to hear maybe if there's a passage of Scripture or something the Lord has given you pertaining to this. Uh, it's your time to help build the body as well. Um, and so from your seats, you can just shout things out. But a couple of questions to kind of keep things uh, moving. What's stopping us from living with an outward focus? As a church, as individuals, what, what is stopping us? Fear of rejection. Okay. Yeah. Busyness. What was it? Okay. Sure. Self-focus. Yeah. I mean, what's the opposite of outward focus? Inward focus. There, there's a term uh, that's used in the military, and it's called a naval gaze. And it doesn't mean naval in terms of, like, ships in the ocean. Naval in terms of your own belly button. Losing sight of the bigger picture because I'm so focused on what's happening right here. This is how most of us live our lives. And what God is calling us to do is to lift our eyes and to see the need around us. I'm so consumed with my own need that I'm ignorant to the need around me. Okay? What else? What's stopping us from having an outward focus? Priorities, yeah. Yeah, I mean, even we're talking about these values here, and really that's what it is, is choosing to prioritize something different. And the ones that we've given, these four that we've looked at over the last couple of weeks, they're not natural. That's why we're taking time to teach on them and define them and try to give you uh, some practical tools is because they're wholly unnatural. What's natural is take care of number one. I can do that. I don't need someone to teach me how to do that. Man, I need some help with the rest of this. Were you guys able to hear what she said? I mean, essentially, we're not living it ourselves. We, we don't have anything to offer because we're not experiencing life and healing. And then we have nothing to offer other people, which leads to a whole other host of problems. Let, let me tell you something, church. I don't believe we have a mission problem. I believe we have an intimacy problem. Mission flows out of what? Intimacy. He doesn't say, man, I, you're the branch, I'm the vine. When you hold on to me, you'll have a decent chance to bear some fruit. He says, it happens. 
when you have intimacy with the Father, when you are spending time with the Father, your heart will be transformed. There's no other alternative. The things that break his heart will break yours. There's no other alternative. We don't truly have a mission problem. We have an intimacy problem. We don't know how to draw near to the Lord in such a way where we're transformed, where his character becomes our character, where the things that, that he prioritizes become our priorities. And so we, it, this isn't a message telling us, so we got to go get busy out there, just start running around and doing more. What this is doing is it's pointing out this is a symptom. Our mission problem is a symptom of our intimacy problem. Let's not just treat the cough. Let's get underneath it to the real problem. We're not drawing close to the Father in intimacy because if we were, we would be on mission with Him. Can't help it. No other result can come from it. Don't get caught up over here. Go and treat the cough. Okay, do more. I got to go tell more people this week. Go deeper with Him. Allow him, as Kim was saying, to minister life and healing in your own heart first. And the natural outflow is fruit. The branch doesn't try real hard and fruit happens. The branch clings to the vine. The vine produces the fruit through the branch. Little gardening tip. That's how that works. And it's the same with us. Cling to the vine. He produces the fruit. Don't try real hard at the fruit. It's his fruit. Our job is to draw close to Him, to offer Him everything. If there's something you want to change, change it. If there's something I'm not seeing rightly, change it. He will do that. He will answer that prayer. Don't get caught being busy. Draw close. Cling to the vine. He brings the change, not only in you, but also in your community, because mission flows out of intimacy. Any other thoughts? What stops us from living with this kind of outward focus? Those are, those are really good thoughts. There's not like a list that I'm aiming for. I just want to open it up. Recognizing the need for intimacy, but recognizing that sin is 
just the big ones, not just the murderer, not just whatever, but the judgmental thought that you just had in reaction to what that person just did. Because they did it wrong. Well, maybe they did. So my reaction is wrong. And all I can do is take care of this reaction and ask Jesus to cover it with his blood, because that's the only thing that's going to wash us wider than snow. And getting to the point where we are on our face, we want him to Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I think sometimes we lose sight of, of of the real damage of sin. We look at it and we go, "Uh-oh, I did something I shouldn't have done." Truly, the the massive casualty that sin causes is broken relationship with the Father. Isaiah fifty nine two says, uh, "Your iniquities have hidden my face from me." Where, where Jesus or God is, is speaking through the prophet Isaiah and he's telling his people. Listen, your sin isn't just, oh, you offended each other. It has real-world results like that. He says, but the greatest damage is that it hides from my face from you. Our relationship is broken because of sin. So when we talk about intimacy, sin must be dealt with first. Repentance, confession, forgiveness, living in the light, not choosing to hide in the dark. Those choices have to come first because intimacy can't happen as long as sin is there. It's kind of like we talked about with communion. I can't hold on to the sin and praise God for his, his way that he's made for me to be forgiven of it. I can't do both. God will not be made fun of in that way. We have to be willing to deal with our sin because it stands between us and intimacy. Okay, so let me pivot a little bit and ask a different question. From where you sit... When, when you look around Elkins, West Virginia, what breaks God's heart? Or maybe another way of, of asking that question, what are some areas where you see, again, looking at our community, where life and healing are needed? Addiction. Addiction is a huge one, massive. I left Elkins 20 years ago, and there weren't meth heads running around on the street, riding yeah. the bikes with the backpacks. West Virginians, we have the highest addiction rate in the nation out of all 50 states. Yeah. And their needs. And I got news. God heals addiction a whole lot better than man does. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Because we're not very good at it. <laughs> yeah. Social justice. Yeah, I mean, we talked a few weeks back looking at some social justice issues, racial inequality, some of these different things. Those are, those are gospel issues. Those are things that, again, you can't read through the scriptures and not see God's broken heart for marginalized people, for people who are treated unfairly, for those that can't speak for themselves. And I'm not going to preach those messages again, but that's where those came from. Those are, those are gospel issues. Those break the heart of God. And we as his people have been called to enter in. What else? Poverty. Poverty. Homelessness. Homelessness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the statistics are staggering uh, when you look into broken homes in America, in West Virginia. I mean, where, however you break it down, it is staggering. Right now in our country, uh, it's, it's now gotten to the point where the majority of kids grow up in a single-parent home. 
it's over 50%. Sometimes, you know, like dad is in the picture, he lives in town, maybe does some visitation, but mom and dad aren't together. Oftentimes, and growing, one of the parents just isn't in the picture at all, if either of the parents are. Again, here in our state, we know how many parents are being raised by grandparents, because mom and dad, whether it's due to addiction, whether it's whatever else, have bailed. That breaks the heart of our God. We sang earlier, and it brings me to tears, my orphan heart was given a name. Like, it breaks God's heart that there are children growing up motherless, fatherless. That breaks his heart, and it should break ours. What else? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I mean, just the pace that we keep, I, I think, like you're saying, breaks God's heart because of the, the fallout that happens. I'm too busy to stop and love my neighbor. They already put the garage door down anyway. You know what I mean? Like, it's, we, it's broken relationships all around when we're called into community. And Kim had said pornography. Just the, the mass casualty that comes from exploiting people, from treating people like objects, the way it hurts them, the way it hurts me. I think that breaks the heart of our Father. Okay, so last question I'm going to ask. And this one we don't need to answer now. This is a take-home question. So what are we going to do about it? It breaks the heart of our Father when He sees the addiction, when He sees the homelessness, when He sees the broken families, when He sees the injustice in our community, not even in our world, right here in Elkins, it breaks His heart. What do we do about it? This is something between you and the Lord. I, I don't need to shout out answers because I'm not looking for a program. Well, we, we as a church should start this and we should start that program. And Not that those are bad, but that's not where we're going to start. Between you and the Lord to go, okay, first of all, Lord, maybe these things don't even really break my heart. I've kind of put a wall up and I've hardened my heart because it hurts. It, it hurts to think about those kids. It hurts to think about those people and the pain that is driving them to addiction. And so I'd rather just put a wall up and go, ugh, those people. And I read another headline and ugh, and we can become very judgmental. But going, Lord, if that doesn't break my heart, we need to start there. Show me how to be brokenhearted over this and then show me what are the next steps. And pretty quickly you'll realize, man, I need some other people around me. And there will be some other people whose hearts are broken for the same thing that breaks your hearts and go, man, we, we should put these things together and we will begin to unite and move on mission. But it starts with first opening yourself and going, Lord, where's my heart hard? Where, where have I kind of kept you at a distance because that hurts too much? I don't want to go there. It reminds me of things from my own past that I've been trying to forget. I don't want to go there. Where have we been hardening ourselves? Allow him to break our hearts and then say, okay, Lord, what step this week? What does it look like? Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a community, whatever it is. What step this week? How do I move in? And we allow him to lead us. Mission flows out of intimacy. So this week, this is the question that I have for you. What, what are those things that breaks his heart? What are, like, as he brings them up, as you're reading through scripture and you just see that like, man, Jesus always went to that person. 
Paul was always warning them, man, don't step over that person. As you begin to see God's broken heart, what am I going to do about it? Lord, what, what are you calling me into? And all the way back to commitment. Am I willing to step in? Without, without understanding the whole cost, without understanding exactly what the ask is, am I willing to step in? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, as I've already said, uh, I think the church as a whole has an intimacy problem. We have gotten too busy. We've gotten too self-sufficient. We've gotten too whatever it may be to cling to the vine. To, as Jesus said, watch the Father's life and go and do likewise. Uh, we've we've kind of created our own brand and we're doing our own thing. We are suffering because of it and the world is suffering because of it. And I think that breaks your heart. So Lord, would you show each of us what is the next step we need to take? How do we draw near to you? I love your promise in James where you say, draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. What is the next step for us to draw near to you, to experience greater intimacy, greater relationship with you, that you would begin to break our hearts like yours is broken, that we would begin to link arms with the Father and advance the kingdom in our homes, in our community, in our state, in our country, in our world. Not just because, man, we're so good, but because when I spend time with the Father, I can't not move into these areas. Would you begin this, even this week we pray, even today, as we have conversations over lunch, would you begin to move this forward in each of our lives, whatever it may be? Would we spur one another on to love and good deeds and all the more as we see the day approaching? Do your work in us, God. Bear your fruit. May we cling to the vine, I pray. In Jesus' name.